I said the top 10 to 20 crypto assets will have an ETF in the next three years. That was my tweet. I stand by that. And I think the timing factors in that there's an election this year, so things are slower, and perhaps the next administration is more friendly. But we now have a Bitcoin ETF. We likely may have an Ethereum ETF later this year, an ETH ETF. That setup is just uh, incredible. If you are an Empire listener, hopefully you've played around on chain. And if you have done that, you know that transferring assets across different chains is a pain, to put it nicely. That is why we are incredibly excited to have the Wormhole Foundation as a partner of the Empire podcast, stewards of the Wormhole protocol, supporting over 30 different blockchains and six different runtimes. Stay tuned later in the show. We have a cool thing that you can claim, which is a Wormhole NFT just for Empire listeners. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. Here at Empire, you know that Santi and I are really into real-world use cases and always on the lookout for the next killer blockchain app. We're excited to share that PayPal has arrived in crypto to unveil a way to seamlessly connect fiat to digital currencies. Later in the show, you will find out how you can use PYUSD to check out at millions of online stores. And we're back. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Good. <laughs> can't, I can't tell. Uh, I can't tell the mood you're in today. <laughs> I'm in a mood. I'm not in a mood. I'm just, uh, you know. <laughs> this is the, the the one of the funnest things I do every week. So you know. Nice, nice. Um, what's going on? How's the week been? Really good. Really good. Cycling. It's cold, but it's it's good. So you back home? Yeah. Yeah, back home. It's nice. good to be back and just have a routine for once. <laughs> nice. Nice, nice. Um yeah. awesome, man. Well, we had a we had a crazy week, huh? Yeah, it's it's always eventful. Uh what has been going on? What's on your mind? What should we talk about? Uh, I want to talk about a couple of things. So you've been using Farcaster. I'd love to get your honest thoughts. Wait, I, um, I joined Farcaster. I did. You joined Farcaster. We got you. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on after having used it for weeks. So that's one. Um, market's ripping, right? Bitcoin's above. Bitcoin's 51. sitting at 52 today. Yep. ETH is sitting at 28. Um, Solana, 115, right? Things are, things are moving. So I'd love mm-hmm. to hear your take on the markets, um, just where we're at. I'd love to... Excuse me, I'd love to talk airdrops. Uh, Starkware airdrop happened this week. Um, decent bit of like controversy around it in terms of they did this basically thing where they, uh, I think they vest, started the vest two years ago and did like a secret unlock um, about two years ago. People like, I don't know, some people really liked it, some people didn't like it. So we should talk airdrops and I think that'll lead into a, I want to have a conversation with you about like just how the fund ra- funding markets work, fundraising markets work in crypto. And I don't think a lot of people understand what's happening in the private markets today with these kind of like special rounds, venture funded rounds. So I want to kind of peel the curtain back on those. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I maybe we can get into a conversation about, there was a Chris Berniski tweet uh, talking about restaking as leverage. And um, yeah, maybe we can like open that conversation up and, and talk about it. Yeah, sounds great. Cool. We, uh, I also will just say, I heard you guys' feedback about the um, DAS ads on this episode. So I think if our producer gets my message in time, we will not have a DAS ad uh, on, on this episode. We're, we're trying to make the ads more interesting. Ad, ads are interesting in crypto because they, uh, they don't work like traditional Web 2 ads um, in the sense that like 
it's very expected to have ads in, in Web2 land and in crypto, people are very adverse to ads. So we're, we're actually working on some stuff at BlockWorks to try to figure out how we can like make ads more interesting. So anyways, we hear your feedback on the DAS ads, pulled them from this app, going to make them a little more exciting. Click, click the link. <laughs> uh, Santi, let's start with the market. So uh, Bitcoin's up 16% week over week. ETH is up 17%. Um, Solana's up 11%. Avalanche is up 18%. Um, yeah, market's market's cruising. Um, we are now sitting at 52, 52K up from, uh, you know, the, basically three weeks ago, Bitcoin was sub 40K. Bitcoin was sitting at 39. We're up to 52. Um, largely, I would say, driven by people are surprised at the ex, uh, at the flows of the ETF. Um, and I think there was a couple of weeks ago, uh, Chris Berniski came out and basically said, look, I think we we chopped for a while. Uh, some some people obviously agreed with him because he's been so right for a while. Ari Paul came out and said, um, look, I'm on, on the other side of, you know, it was Arthur Hayes and Chris. He said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm tentatively on the other side of the sell the news meme. I'm betting against Arthur and Chris. I don't have much opinion on the macro side. View that as kind of a toss up over the next three months. But on the crypto idiosyncratic side, we see very low leverage, uh, leverage levels, neutral sentiment, healthy market positioning. Uh, and he said, I think the pattern matching of the ETF approval to previous events like 2017 futures listing are actually bad analogies. All of those comparable events occurred far later in the bull cycle in context of a far greater bullish leverage and hype. In my opinion, we are in medium term, medium time frame, bull trend, prices likely higher in six months. So that was Ari's take. And it, so far, Ari seems to be right. Um, and I'd love to get your take and just like, in terms of how you're thinking about this market today. I've said it a number of times, like it's, it's really hard to be like, you can be right in a week and then wrong in a month timeframe uh, over long time horizon. Bull posting does incredible wonders because bears eventually get liquidated and die. Um, and so, you know, it's, I agree with the latter part of the sentiment, which is yes, I don't think this is like Bitcoin's at 52. There's nowhere near attention there on Bitcoin. Even though we had the most, probably if you were to go back five, since I've been in the space, if you were to ask me what, what would have been the biggest events that would solidify this as a asset class, it would be an ETF approval. We've had it and it's been largely like a okay event. And maybe it's because we talked about it for so long that once it happened, it was a bit of a like baby blues kind of situation, but inflows continue to be really strong. Uh, we're nowhere near hype. And so that's, I think, really positive. Open interest leverage in the system doesn't seem to be uh, as high as, you know, in 20, you know, DeFi summer. Um, and so uh, I agree with that. Like, I, I think I think we're in a prolonged bull market. You know, bull markets also exhibit drawdowns from time to time, week on weeks. Like, you know, you study every single cycle you would have had moments and weeks where like the market was down 10%, 15%, depending on, that's for Bitcoin and ETH. Now the beta on alts is even higher. So it's just important to like factor that in. Um, and so like, yeah, it's pretty crazy that we have an ETF approval. Inflows are really strong and we're debating for bull or bear market. Like also, I just want to point out one thing. <laughs> Every time I like try to time these things, I just remind myself of how small crypto is. <laughs> and I'll give you a, a, an interesting stats here for all the AI folks out there. So NVIDIA this year is up 44% year to date. 
they um so this year alone nvidia has added around 550 billion in market cap hmm. that's a third of that's a third of all crypto give or take so oh. just you know whether you want to i think it's a useful comparison because crypto is a drop in the bucket uh so like I say this also because I don't think crypto is getting enough attention at all by traditional allocators. I, from time to time, ping some of the larger fund of funds um, and the institutional allocators, at least in the Western hemisphere, are not touching crypto yet. And maybe we're doing that through an ETF, like registered investment advisors, to some extent. But um, alternative investments, like money flowing into hedge funds and venture funds in the space is basically zero. So I think that's also a good barometer of where we are in the cycle. I think we're early. Um, and it, it feels, you know, putting aside all the macro stuff, uh, geopolitical stuff, election stuff, uh, you know, <laughs> this is a very small asset class. It is a real asset class. Just got an ETF approval. Now, I think one of the things that I, I was thinking about this week is there's no shot in my mind that we don't have at least five to six to seven ETFs in a two to three year time horizon. Five to six e ETFs for yeah, different like the, 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 the top, call it, I, I said the top 10 to 20 crypto assets will have an ETF in the next three years. That was my tweet. Yeah. I stand by that. And I think the timing in factors in that there's an election this year, so things are slower. And perhaps the next administration is more friendly. But we now have a Bitcoin ETF. We likely may have an Ethereum ETF later this year, an ETH ETF. That setup is just uh, incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, I just showed that chart for anyone who's watching on YouTube. But if you, if you look at this year, Bitcoin flows have uh, Bitcoin ETF flows are four point one billion. Gold ETF flows are minus 2.4 billion i was trying to find the exact data some people had minus two some people had actually minus five or six billion stuff to find the exact number but uh basically it looks like gold etfs or capital and gold etfs is now flowing into bitcoin etfs and i mean if you zoom out and just think about like the the etf flows so far are beyond the wildest dreams of of i think nick said this nick carter said this well like beyond the wildest dreams of any of the most bullish analysts if you go back and read the analysts uh, predictions on Wall Street from you know November, December, and into early January before anything happened. What's happened so far is beyond the wildest dreams of any of the most bullish analysts. And if you, um, I know you've talked a lot about like the sales orgs at these places. Like a lot of the asset managers haven't even activated their sales orgs, right? Like a lot of the these financial institutions, like BlackRock hasn't even like turned on their sales org um, when they're talking about Bitcoin. Like it's not like that's been rolled out across the entire company and like has been taken to it's, it's, it's still very, very early days. Um, and yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. What do you mean by um, what do you mean when you say that the uh, LPs, the money isn't flowing into the venture funds in crypto yet. You're saying when they're, a lot of them are raising and yeah, they're having a, a tough time raising. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, fund of funds in the U, based in the U.S. Uh, you know, my question to them was like, "Are you getting interest from family offices, endowments, pension funds?" And they're like, "No, not for crypto." Mm -hmm. I think most people are just busy clipping, you know, Nvidia gains. 
and money market gains. Um, yeah, it was interesting. Also, Coinbase activity, they reported earnings this week. Their stock kind of has done a, since December, has kind of went out all the way up to 160, down to 110, and hovered pretty volatile range. Um, you know, JP Morgan, for instance, uh, had a bearish call on the stock. They abandoned that. Um, today, they're moving to neutral stance. Um, again, yeah, uh, I think analyst uh, analyst sentiment towards a stock like Coinbase is also indicative of like how the market's really thinking about it. Um, yeah. I, I think the the reason why they were bearish is not just on crypto alone; it's the fact that like the ETF now allows people to just go direct and have exposure as opposed to having a proxy exposure through Coinbase. But nonetheless, I mean, I just think it's um, anecdotally a lot of a lot of banks are not even recommending buying the ETF. If they get interest from clients, they can purchase on their behalf, but they're not calling. They're not picking up the phone and kind of doing a boiler room operation of just uh, pitching um, at least the larger registered investment advisors, wealth managers. I don't think many of them are just proactively calling clients about this stuff yet. Yep. And and maybe Hunter from Bitwise, uh, which they just crossed a billion, he might have a different opinion on what type of RIAs and like if you were to canvas the entire like Wall Street, uh, you know, apparatus, like who is really actually flowing, um, driving flows into these vehicles. I would argue that it's not the large, it's not the JP Morgans of the world. Yeah. If you look at, um, I think this is a good barometer of, uh, how how folks are feeling so so why combinator the big accelerator put out their uh request for startups i don't know if you can see mm-hmm. if, if you're yeah. watching on youtube you can see it on my screen and uh they put out a bunch of there's basically 20 requests for startups better enterprise like better enterprise SaaS glue eliminating middlemen in healthcare a way to end cancer ai to build enterprise software llms for manual back office processes only one out of 20 of these was related to crypto and it's stable coins. It's called it's number 15. It's stable coin finance. And I did a little command F here for crypto. Oh, did you? I did. I did. There's no there's no mention of crypto in all of Y Combinator's requests for startups. So I think that actually is a decent uh barometer for like the sentiment from uh from outside the industry. And I I sent this tweet out and I I stand by it. I don't think mainstream sentiment picks up until we hit all-time highs, right? Like Bitcoin ripped through 50K. First of all, timeline's pretty quiet. Bitcoin ripped through 50K. Timeline was pretty quiet. Bless you. Uh, And I got got zero texts. I got literally zero texts from friends about Bitcoin hitting 50K. My guess is it gets crazy once Bitcoin hits 65 or 70K. Because at that point, anyone in the world who has ever bought Bitcoin at any time in their life is now in the money. And when you're in the money, you look at your account, and you say, oh, shit, I'm up a little bit. Let me start paying yeah. attention to this thing again. So I think that's when it starts to get crazy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're, uh, we're definitely entering phase two of the bull market, though. It's, uh, it'll, be, it'll be cool to see. Um, how does this impact how you think about like buying stuff and like allocating to the liquid markets? Because if you remember our episode six months ago, we said, look, you know, there's actually a ton of opportunity in the in the liquid markets. And you had actually, I know you you do a lot in the private markets. You this was maybe six or nine months ago. You said, actually, I'm having a lot of fun like looking at the public markets and 
buying mm. things like, you know, that are, that are, that I think are really, really cheap and completely liquid. How does this like numbers are going up, prices are getting back to near all time highs for some things. Like how does that impact how you actually think about allocating just into the liquid markets? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I haven't really, really revisited my strategy as of late. Uh, I, I think probably like I, I want to skew more liquid um, over the next three to six months, nine months. You want to uh, skew more liquid? Yeah. Yeah. I'm less certain about how 2025 is going to shape up. Um, I also think, I don't know, like funds in the space, there's like some overhang where you have high watermarks and a lot of them are trying to just like finally are coming up for air. I don't know how that plays in. I think one of the things that I'm going to be really paying attention to is how these like Starcore is probably a good example of like pretty old project been in development for a number of years. How does that trade and how do VCs, the larger wallets that are getting uh, their allocation, how are they behaving? Are they holding? Are they selling? And I think it would just be interesting how that rotation happens. But otherwise, I mean, I I still mostly do uh, early stage. Um, and I continue to just recycle money into early stage. Um, I'm of the mind that the, the things that I think more about is like categorically, uh, am I over, over or underexposed to a particular sector or theme um, or ecosystem? And that's where I try to pay the most amount of attention. Um, inherently, these things have a short duration. So I, I think of them like while early stage crypto, yes, is kind of like early stage. The duration of it is 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 pretty short in the sense that I don't, I feel like I don't need to pay as much attention to, there will be a liquidity event most likely where, I mean, you could have liquidity on, on something after three years, which is really short for venture, I think. But uh, I care more about just, I think in this business you cannot miss a big a big a new a new trend a new project like if you miss Celestia well how are you exposed like do you have any exposure to modularity if you don't have exposure to an ecosystem like Solana well are you in Sui or Say or Aptos or whatever like paralyzed um, e you know chains so I think these are sort of the things like are you underexposed to gaming overexposed to it it's just sort of those are the things that I think more about uh, less so. You're right. There was a time where I felt that, like, it's good to monitor private valuations on average, like for seed, for A, for B, and how much money's flowing into that relative to kind of valuations of of liquid tokens that may be teams that are farther ahead, but the token is just like really abandoned, right, falling off the cliff off the top 100. So that's where I might find opportunities. I was doing a lot of that like over the last six months. Is there a certain point in the market where you basically just say, hands up, like prices are too high. Let me just sit. I'm, I'm allocated. Let me just sit right now and I'll, I'll wait to allocate in the, in, the, in the next market when the prices go back down. <laughs> yeah, there is. There is. And sometimes you go to conferences and you see a lot of exuberance and it's like, like that scene from the big short. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That's when the easy, when it all. really easy money starts flowing in. I think it, gives me this is part of the reason why i don't like to go to conferences because every time i go to them it's uh i i get i get that <laughs> desire to sell
<laughs> but I shouldn't because <laughs> so, you know if you if you hold for five ten years, it's like you know it's okay. So here's a story for you. So I was um I might have told you this already. So just stop me if I already told you. But I was sitting. So this is Breakpoint 2021, second week in November, and I was at the MultiCoin party at huh. uh, Solana Breakpoint in November of 2021, which is basically like is that the at that rooftop. Of- uh yeah, is that the rooftop? Yeah. Yeah, I was there. Uh oh. Dude, uh, <laughs> I didn't realize that. Hello. Uh I actually did see you later that night, I think, at the Delphi at that. Oh yeah. That was the day after, yeah. Yeah. That was ridiculous Delphi party. But um okay, so I'm sitting next to uh Ed Ed Moncado or Ed Moncada, the the found mm-hmm. the founder of Blockfolio, who ended up selling mm-hmm. Blockfolio to FTX. And uh he's just sitting in the back. And I go sit next to him, I was like, hey, what's up? Been a while. And uh, he goes, look at look at this. So, th- I mean, I don't know if you remember, there's that wall of like 20-year-old kids who were all like MIT and Harvard dropouts. And all, all the VCs were like basically walking <laughs> next to each of them, basically talking to them about their startups. And like kids were literally getting funded like on the spot at this multi-coin party. And Ed goes, look at this. He goes, see all this? See all of this? See those kids? See them getting $50 million pre-seed rounds? He goes, sell it all. Sell it everything you own and that night was the literal top of the market so yeah yeah um okay let's (laughs) let's uh let's let's switch gears a little bit so you mentioned um is starkware um so starkware had an airdrop this week strk um uh i would say there was some controversy around so i think they did a a similar like distribution strategy so it was, uh, I think it was like 12% grants, 10% foundation, 8% unallocated, 2% donations, 9% to the community in rebates, 9% in community provisions, 33% to core contributors, and 17% to Starkware investors. So I think, you tell me if I'm wrong, I think that's relatively similar to how other folks like Arbitrum have done it. Um, and anyways, they ended up launching on, so there's this platform, AEVO, uh, that does like pre- pre-market basically um uh can can tell you like what the price is and you can kind of trade and go long or short pre uh the token going live it was trading at like buck 75 which gives it an implied fdv of 17 to 18 billion dollars uh for reference the fdv of other l2s and i get the whole fdv is a meme whatever but um the the for reference so starkware at uh, 18 billion optimism is 16 billion arbitrum's 20 billion IMX immutable six billion, um, so it's trading around like in between basically optimism and Arbitrum. The so I think all of that was fair, all of that was fine. I think the controversy was that um, I should really pull this up so I don't I don't botch this, but some something along the lines of they did a secret unlock about two years ago to uh, start basically they they basically distributed the tokens quietly two years ago so that the vesting period would actually start before um so yeah. that uh if you're like an investor or you're an employee you can actually sell instead of like basically getting that token when the token goes live like everybody else then you have to wait a lot of people do four-year vest one-year cliff uh now they can actually sell it much sooner than than other people so i don't know i don't know if you followed this whole thing well, I, I was following it. Um, also, it was hard not to because there was very visceral reactions to it. Some people seemed to like it. Other people seemed to not like it. And the meme, of course, was like, if you got the airdrop, then you liked it. If you didn't, then you didn't. Uh, but so anyways, it was it was interesting. Um, 
I don't know. I, I can't think of like retroactive airdrops have been a thing, but this, when you call it secret vesting, it may imply that it was like not disclosed to some, but to others was. Um, but I, it's 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 interesting. I don't know. The FDV I think is a little bit out of whack, but you know, we'll see how. Let's take a normalized view, like over the next thirty days of how this thing trades, right? But uh, yeah, it's why not- do you think why do you think it's out of whack? Because someone like I think their I think their TVL is like sub one hundred million. Um, is that is that why? Uh, not so much TVL. It's just uh, what is it? Seventeen billion FDV. Yeah, I guess it's like right in line with the Arbitrum and Optimism trade. So right. Maybe it's not that out of whack, actually. Yeah, um, I don't know. But congrats to Starkware for for yeah. getting this I mean, out the been, door. Like, they've been on development since. I'm actually I've actually gotten to know their team decently well um, over the last couple of months, and I'm a big fan of what they're building and like super sharp devel- sharp developers um, and like what they're doing with Cairo is like a very very difficult thing, yeah, and yeah. a lot of developers really like it. Like basically choosing Cairo, I think, was this tough as the programming language was like this mm-hmm. tough decision that will eventually be rewarded. Mm-hmm. Um, the, but my feedback to the Starkware team is uh, the uh, air bad airdrops don't actually matter that much. People move past them in a week um, and people move on to the next airdrop, right? Remember last week, everyone's talking about dimension. Now everyone's talking about Starkware. Next week, someone's going to be talking about the next thing. My feedback to someone like a Starkware and to teams doing airdrops is there's always going to be people who are angry with you. And like these like airdrop farmers and things like that. There's always going to be thousands of those who are mad at you. If you let yourself get consumed in the emotion of like dealing with those people uh, and you snap back harder than they're kind of coming at you, it reflects really, really, really poorly on your brand. And I think Starkware got caught up on that. I saw some screenshots on Twitter of like some folks on their team, like going off on people and it's just a bad look that like then that actually reflects negatively on your brand for for more than just the week that people are upset about the airdrop. So I agree. Get your thing out there, make the announcement, write a really good blog post, and then shut the hell up for a week is is my feedback. Yeah, yeah, it's never easy. I think airdrops uh, you're going to invariably alienate, cause some controversy. People that didn't, you never get a perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but so yeah, I mean, I think as good as any i think in terms of the allocation the way the mechanism and whatnot so i was surprised i yeah. thought i was going to get a yes uh, like they, they mentioned some ecosystems like immutable that you've gotten airdrop and i checked some wallets and i didn't so it was a bit odd yeah i i, I had that with the i had that with dimension because i got some i got some pudgies and i was i didn't i didn't get anything and i was like what am right. i maybe the snapshot they took, yeah it was pre post snapshot i guess maybe yeah because I, I originally, I think I, I actually thought I had some at some point, and then I went back and checked, and I didn't have. So, anyways, doesn't doesn't matter. But um, it actually brings up a bigger question of like we we talked about these airdrops last week, um, and I've been thinking about that conversation a lot. I would I would love to just expand on like maybe peel back the curtain a bit on how on what's going on in the in the in the venture markets and like mm-hmm. how these things are actually happening. And I tweeted this thing out about ICOs. Um, so. What do you think of the the way that the current system? So okay, so for people who don't know, the way that the system is set up today. All right, so actually, six years ago and seven years ago, there was these. Basically, the way that Ethereum went live was with this was basically with like the first ICO, or at least the first popular. I think it was actually the first ICO. It was like a crowd sale, and for anyone who 
uh, was around in 2017. You probably remember these, the ICO mania, basically. Um, and every day there was a new ICO. It was essentially like, it was essentially like chasing tokens um, and like kind of airdrop farming. Like everyone's chasing these ICOs and there's a new hot ICO and you would go on them. Um, the way I did it was I would like go on my Ether wallet. You'd like mm-hmm. go on my Ether wallet and then there'd like be an ICO and you'd send some ETH in and you basically cross your fingers and like hope that like something happened on the other side, hope that the ICO eventually went live and then you would get those tokens and then you would hope that um, you would hope that that basically uh, worked out. The ICOs ended up getting a really, really nasty reputation because for, I would say, two reasons. One is uh, a lot of the companies and founders back then came in at the end of 2017 and they were just chasing, they were, they were like, they were kind of quintessential scammy crypto people. And they were like not good founders. A lot of them were pretty damn crazy. Uh, nearly every single person lost money on ICOs. Like it just was not a good system. The second reason it got a bad rap is the... It was the 2017 version of of leverage. So if we say that Genesis and BlockFi and those folks kind of pumped the market higher than it should have been in 2021, uh, ICOs pumped the market higher than it should have been in in 2017. And mm-hmm. the downside of this is that there was this basically cliff. The market fell off a cliff because all the ICOs had to essentially sell Ethereum to keep yeah. funding themselves. Because you would send in your Ethereum, they would send you the tokens, their treasuries, there weren't stable coins then really, except maybe like Tether and stuff, but like they would denominate their treasuries in ETH because everyone thought number was continuing to go up. So now all these companies were sitting on a big bag of ETH and to keep funding themselves, they kept selling ETH, which then caused ETH to go down. It was this nasty reflexive thing. So then what happened is uh, all these venture firms were started. So pre-2017, there really weren't many venture firms. It was like maybe Pantera, um, who Blockchain Capital. Um, there, are, there are a couple of venture firms. Then there was this huge wave of venture firms that raised money. Parify, Framework, uh, you know, all, all, you know all, the, all the classic ones. Poly, uh, I, I think actually Polychain maybe was around earlier. But all, these, all the venture firms, you know, Electric, Dragonfly, et cetera. Now the way that the venture w- world works and like how the fundraising market works is... Uh, there will be your traditional fundraises where mm-hmm. uh, you will lead like venture firm you know, leads around or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then in between some of these rounds and especially pre TGE pre token generation event, there's a strategic round. And that's when the company goes out and says, Hey, look, we're raising at a billion dollars from Andreessen, but you influential angel will get you in at 500 million or flip those numbers. Hey, raising it a hundred million, we'll give you a discount at 50 million. And um, basically, you know, they raise from 50 to hundred angels and it kind of gets the angels on their side and they give them a discount because maybe the angels are more helpful, helpful than the VCs. And then when they launch, they can say kind of when they do their token generation event, all the angels that they wanted to get who are like maybe influential are like on their side. Uh, then the token launches and it's this like mad dash for an airdrop. And it's like what happened with Starkware and what happened with Dimension. And it's a total shit show every single time for one reason or another. And the argument that I want to make here is that this system is actually a much worse system than ICOs. And ICOs weren't actually a bad system. It was just that the industry was so immature. There were no NFTs. There was no DeFi. There was like no infrastructure built out that the reason ICOs didn't work is not because of the structure, but because of uh regulatory fear and 
sub subpar founders and subpar companies. And I'd love to hear. So that's my that's my argument to you. And I'd love to hear what you think of it. Um. Yeah, the, this sort of train of thought is very similar to what Kane has been very vocal about. Kane, the founder of Synthetics, uh, they actually raised one of the largest ICOs. It was probably the ICO that peaked Haven. Haven, yeah. yeah. I was an investor in there. Um, and the question is, he was like, you know, we should go back to ICOs. And I think it's a very interesting train of thought. Do um, You also have people like Kobe trying to like disintermediate, like this whole venture um, kind of, uh, you know, PayPal mafia, if you will. Um, the so I don't I, actually, you know, ICOs are very the purest form of a capital market where you have direct access to people. The arguments around not allowing that is that people are not very sophisticated. Now that's like accreditation rules that are outdated and antiquated, where they're actually based. Uh, so accreditation rules are actually set for. Uh, administrative and cost burden reasons, not so much sophistication. Do you realize this? Like this whole threshold of like, are you making over a hundred or 150 K or whatever it is, or joint 200? It's more so based on like back in the day, it like every time you had a new shareholder, like it required, like it was expensive to add an incremental um, investor. Now it's like zero, right? Yeah, marginal cost yeah. is zero with technology. Um. I think there is a middle ground where you go back to an ICO and you have, um, which by the way, a lot of, I guess the question is as long as ICOs and as long as in whatever mechanism, I'd say it doesn't matter if it's an ICO, a venture round, as long as there are the proper disclosures, the proper information propagated to the same people, like the same information propagated to everyone. I think that's, you know, and, and some sort of standard of what is disclosed, right? I think that's the most important thing that people need to be aware of. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, uh, going back to the era is something that is very interesting, actually. To like, is a venture investor more or less sophisticated than a community member? Probably the community member knows more about the project than the partner at whatever mm-hmm. name. And, like allow them to and in private conversations with a lot of founders they've been wanting to do this they've been wanting to go direct to the community and because of course they get criticism it's like why are you doing a venture round like we're here in the discord we're here adding value we're here like contributing and we can't invest and it is a very valid argument um and unfortunately it's been the regulatory risk and or concern and so um the fundamental question is who's getting hurt? I think the current model, a lot of the retail is not participating in the value creation. By the way, in the same way that they're not participating in traditional venture, right? Um, which is a shame. Yeah. So I don't disagree with you. I I would want to go back to that system because it brings more competition, right? It levels the bar to... Maybe also get rid of airdrops altogether. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it's like air- I, I, I think airdrops have peaked in terms of the percentage that is being given to the community. If you go to a system where it's a pure ICO, you allow people to participate and have skin in the game, and that's it. Like, it's a, it's a more competitive environment, and that's a really good thing, I think.
Yeah. I mean, air, so airdrops are in, so ICOs are better, better in two reasons. One is, um, they, they were better incentive alignment mechanism than airdrops. Airdrops are incentivizing the wrong people. Airdrops are incentivizing renters, not owners. And ICOs incentivized owners, people who actually wanted to like a stake in that business. Um, and I think basically like they also fixed this. I don't know. We're, we're back in the like web two era of like venture firms make the money. And then like the, you know, uh, the, the community makes like, doesn't make the money. It's no different than IPOs. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, you can make obviously money in the, in the public markets, but like, I don't know. I think that was one of the, the cool premises of ICOs is that like anyone could get in at, at an early level. And right now, like, you know, Starkware at 17 billion, like I, Eigenlayer, like, what do you think Eigenlayer launched that? Tw- I'd say 25 billion minimum, probably, probably 25, maybe 30 billion. Um, man, it's going to be tough for people to make money on that. And uh, it would have yeah. been cool if there was an Eigenlayer ICO that like people who are into staking and restaking and stuff could could have got in. Um, now there needs to be things, right? There needs to be like, I would say mandatory disclosures. Um, there need there needs to be like, there needs to be something. Um, but I don't know this, this, I, this, this market structure of like VCs forcing private deals with discounts and lockups, like at us, it doesn't seem like VCs are not forcing that. The no, no, no one's forcing it. The market, the market, regulatory environment is forcing it because there have been investors. Well, not so much investors. There have been teams and founders that have been wanting to go back to this model, but they won't. Like it's just very challenged. Now, I think there's always going to be a opportunity to, um, like, create a gated ICO. One interesting mechanism would be with proof of on-chain activity and measure of contribution, you invite people. Like think of Lido or Eigenlayer with restaking. Uh, based on your amount of restaking, you have a certain allocation. And maybe you can get that as an NFT, that allocation. You can maybe trade that NFT to someone else at a premium or a discount. If you don't want that allocation or you can't fill that allocation, uh, and that naturally creates a secondary market, all on chain. The problem, of course, is well, I, in, in order to get to that state, there there is still a need, I think, for private capital or funding of a white paper, so to speak. And that was an ICO. Your point initially around like scams exist. I mean, it's important to like, I think, dissect. Okay, like scams exist everywhere. It's not that ICOs promote scams. Um, like ex- scams will happen whether it's an ICO or it's a venture round, like there's still scams. The ICO mechanism in and of itself does not, I think, promote a scam. I think if anything, it creates a more visible environment where like the, the issue is like there can be some FOMO, right? Cause you saw a lot of that FOMO during the ICO boom. Right. Um, and in the spur of the moment, like it's like no different than farming, right. Or maybe what we're going to have this year, restaking, yeah. chasing a yield. We were really caught up. But that happens in every market. That's just like human psychology. Yeah. Um, in this environment where the market's open 24-7, 365, you know, you see it more visibly. Um, but to say that ICOs will like attract, like, you know, are these facilitators of like crappy teams raising money? Like, yeah, like obviously it happens, but it's not the mechanism, I think, you know, um, 
I don't know, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be dismissive of an ICO for that particular reason is what I'm trying to say. Because I think yeah. those, there will always be those type of opportunist founders, scams, whatever. Um, it's just the nature of the game. It happens in crypto. It happens in other industries too, right? So, yeah. I just want to point that out because I think that's probably one of the biggest criticisms of ICOs that I keep hearing on and on and on. And it's like, I don't think that's enough to go back to a model like where it's a bit more, where it is more egalitarian, where it is more like perhaps meritocratic based on contributions, value made on chain. And it's really the same mechanism that teams are are going about to uh, design an airdrop campaign. You can use those same parameters for an ICO. Yeah. Hmm. I guess the count, I guess one of the reasons they probably won't come back is, uh, there's this, have you ever looked at the startup fund fundraising platforms like start engine or yeah. crowd, uh, like, you know, I guess Kickstarter, you could call it this, like we funder, go fund, uh, yeah, go fund like, me. You're talking like, about an adverse election problem. Adverse election. Exactly. It's like yeah. the number one best founders are going to go to verify and framework and 10 T and folks like that. And, uh, polychain and the tier ones second, but like the folks who aren't able to make it are going to go to the second class and the third phase are going to go to the ICO platform. Um, is it really, I mean, like when I see a, pl- a company on seed invest or Republic or GoFundMe, like what that tells me is you tried to raise money. And you got turned away. Yeah. And now you're like, well, shit, I still need to raise money. So let me go like try to do a community fundraise. Yeah. yeah. It's never the There are option. some instances. Yeah, no, I agree. There are some instances where like you might do both, right? Like it's not um, A or B. It can be there is going to be this round. It's led by named fund. Ah, and yes. you reserve yeah, yeah. an allocation that is an, an open mechanism where community members can bid on whatever curve or can just bid on the allocation. I think that would okay, be Okay, so you know who did model. this? Was actually Kraken. Do you remember in 2019 Kraken did a crowdfund? They raised yes. 13. So Kraken was raising at a 4 billion dollar valuation, they raised 13 million. I actually think they did the crowdfund to put a price on their equity, but um they raised 13 million from 2000 investors and they used some crowdfunding platform. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Know. I don't know who they used, yeah. but Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're a consumer business, this is also a good uh, mechanism from a go-to-market perspective. Hey, everyone. Wanted to give a big shout-out to today's sponsor, Wormhole Foundation, stewards of the Wormhole Protocol. If you are like Santi and I and you play around on-chain, you know how bad the cross-chain experience is today. Well, Wormhole has set out to solve that, powering cross-chain transfers for over 200 different multi-chain teams, including some of the best like Uniswap and Circle. So what does that mean for you, the Empire listener? This opens up a huge number of multi-chain use cases across DeFi, NFTs, governance, oracles, and more. By supporting over 30 different blockchains and six different runtimes, including SUI, Solana, different ETH L2s, Ethereum, and a whole bunch more. That means you have now the most powerful interoperability platform at your fingertips. If you're a developer, you'll be excited to hear that Wormhole provides an extensive suite of tools and infrastructure so that you can securely build multi-chain applications. But don't just take our word for it, obviously. Wormhole Protocol leads the industry in all-time messages transferred with over 900 million cross-chain messages. 900 million, that is 
close to a billion and that's a big number of messages. As a thank you, Wormhole Foundation is dropping exclusive NFTs. That's right. We got some exclusive NFTs for Empire listeners. Hit the link in the description to claim your unique Wormhole NFT today. The days of not using crypto for really anything in the real world are over. It is time to start using crypto in everyday transactions, whether that's shopping online or just buying a bagel on the street. We're excited to tell you about PYUSD, PayPal's entrance into Web3. PayPal is proud to share an open letter to the crypto community that outlines their commitment, their roadmap, and their goals in the digital currency space. PYUSD seeks to transform how you interact with your digital assets. Available today, you can send your crypto to your PayPal account, swap it for PYUSD, and then use it to check out at millions of stores. PayPal invites you, all the Empire listeners, to be a part of this journey. Hit the link in the description of today's episode to read PayPal's open letter to the community. It gives you a really good sense of what their vision is. Take the next step by signing up for a PayPal account today. The future of crypto payments starts with PayPal. Shall we talk restaking? Do you have thoughts on this? Uh, I, I've been giving way too many thoughts here. I'd like to hear your thoughts on it first. On restaking? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so basically, uh, I'll read this tweet from, from Berniski. He said, um, he said, while we're still relatively early in the cycle, sneaky leverage always finds a new form. Oh, there you go. He's, he, he says in 2017, it was ICOs. In 2021, it was the lending desks. In 2025, it will probably be rampant restaking. Um, so the con- so this sparked a whole conversation on Twitter. Um, it my my answer to this is it depends how you re- how you define leverage. So the in my mind, the obvious answer is yes, this is leverage. But there's basically many many types of leverage. Um, there's like operational leverage. And then there's financial leverage, right? There's like the financial leverage would be borrowing a bunch of assets in order to borrowing a bunch of assets to, uh, to then like go long. Like that's like going levered long basically. Um, and so there's like two, two degrees of leverage. I would, I would say have to enter the conversation. It's like operational leverage and financial leverage. Then it's like the degree of leverage that you're taking. Right. So if you, or here's, here's a question for you. If you stake your ETH, right. As a reminder to folks, staking is you take your ETH, you deposit into the staking contract. Restaking is you take that staked ETH and you deposit into a restaking contract. Do you think that staking is leverage? No. Not in and of itself. Interesting. Why not? Just the mechanism of staking does yeah. not introduce more leverage. What you do with a staked asset may introduce more leverage. In and of itself, staking is does not introduce more leverage, right? I think. Yeah. So this was okay. So I like read all these replies to Berniski. This is why people weren't agreeing on Twitter, is because there's a different understanding of leverage. There's folks who think that depositing into a Uniswap LP pool is leverage. There's folks that think staking, uh, depositing your assets into a staking contract is leverage because you're doing something and you're getting more out with your money, basically. And people call mm-hmm. that leverage. I don't. I think I would call that operational leverage. I don't think it's financial leverage. I think that financial leverage is basically like the, and the difference here is like, is anything being borrowed? So not like, mm-hmm. in my, like you're putting in one ETH, you're getting back one ETH and a little bit of yield on top. Nothing's really getting borrowed. Uh, in financial leverage, like you're, 
putting down something and you're getting more back in return and something's actually getting borrowed. So I think to your point, like restaking is basically, it gives you, it's a new instrument, like a new financial it is a facilitator for sure. It's a facilitator of creating leverage. It's a new yeah. derivative that can kind of, or instrument that can then create leverage. Mm-hmm. That would be my definition it- of it. Yes, I agree. It's uh, There's a good FAQ from the Eigenlayer team. They put it out, I believe, two, three weeks ago. People should go read that. And um, I, they, they go sort of, they make this point, which is it, Eigenlayer in of itself mm. does not create, it's their opinion, more uh, leverage, more risk in the system. It is, but they, they do concede that it's these like liquid restaking tokens and what happens at that layer is what... Um, maybe a challenge may present um, these risks, and in some ways, like I think that is true. But also, it begs the question: like, should you be I'm trying to use the right word here? Should you have an opinion or a policy or risk framework in place to mitigate what the liquid restaking token does or does not do. And I'm not sure. I guess we could maybe discuss that, right? I don't. Yeah. You're saying different parameters to limit what, what the, what the restake token can actually do. Well, not so much what it can or can't do. It's more the, the amount, right? Like, like, um, like if, if you're eigenlayer and you see the, uh, uh, liquid restaking protocol come and I'm just um, it, I'm trying to think of like is there is there a framework in place that you can implement that the like if you're eigenlayer they have this kind of security council right of containing the amount of like r- like restaking on restaking on restaking can you clamp down on that can you like I mean, I'm guess I'm getting ahead of myself here. Is like, what is the worst that can happen with liquid restaking? Uh, the worst that could happen is there's probably basically like a big slash. I think the is, is that there's a big slashing event, right? Like, I think mechanically, staking and restaking are the same thing, but you now have multiple. You've now basically increased the number of claims on the on the same asset. So there, therefore, you've increased the number of like slashing conditions. And, and slashing risks on the same asset. And I think that's why people would say, look, maybe it's not leverage, but it's increasing risk in one way or another. You know, it's not, it's, it's not like you're taking like a, a margin loan or something, but it's increasing some sort of risk in the system. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm going to be cautious here because I am getting ahead of my skis. Like I would like to have this discussion with someone at Eigenlayer or someone. And if we could, we should, we should bring, Maybe someone from Eigenlayer could be Calvin, and and someone from the liquid restaking token protocols to come in and discuss this. Like, is this point on leverage is a good one? I think I think that's like less contentious. What is more contentious is what is the point of all these liquid restaking tokens? And at what point do you stop? At what point uh, you just assume that people are going to want to chase the highest yielding opportunities? At what point do we? Do we make sure that to use this Chris word sneaky? At what point do we make sure that leverage does not creep up on the system to a degree where it can have a systemic risk on 
protocols yeah or ecosystems yeah we've uh we've, we've pushed the boundary of uh i think our or at least at least of my basically like i have some opinions but they're not really relevant yeah. here i would like to more just have a discussion like a pod in my mind would involve the top three liquid restaking protocols and someone from eigenlayer discussing this point exactly because i yeah. think is we had it in our predictions that if anything like ethereum um well, you remember when we had the Eigenlayer team on and they said like initially they're going to have the security council that is going to like really kind of make sure that the system is operating correctly and like these valid, like uh, they, I think they call it the security council that is very like human centric governed um, and has uh, an opinion on like the security frameworks of the system, right? Do you remember that? Yeah. 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 And my criticism back then and i think i still hold this view is that like I, th I guess you have to have that but over time like like it doesn't give me much confidence so like the whole point of these systems i think is to be like as uh governance light as possible like ethereum as an l1 does not have any gov like you know what i mean it doesn't have any governance like i think you you coordinating from a shift to prove a stake was a herculean effort and that required a, a whole bunch of coordination but it's a very governance light L2s introduce more governance in the equation. Um, and then protocols on top of that, like DeFi protocols and whatnot are like, um, you know, have these governance tokens. But as a base protocol, I think you don't, like you want to really, really minimize the amount of governance, human like interference or interactions that happen and have a say. Because I think that just degrades the trust guarantees. And I think also humans are like, time and time again, like not really competent to make these decisions. So the, the, my criticism was, I think Ethereum probably figures out some sort of scalability roadmap. It is figuring it out live, like through modularity and, you know, parallelization through something like Monad and all this, you know, uh, uh, stuff like Celestia and whatnot, but it is adding more like, uh, it is giving up that this on this, particular thing that I think is pretty sacrosanct, which is govern like governance light. Um, and whereas you don't have that, like in, in other ecosystems, like, like Solana, for instance, like you want it. And so, uh, yeah, it's just, is it going to work? Is it like a, a catastrophic thing? No, but it just introduces a vector that I think should be talked about more. Um, and ultimately it, it might be necessary. It might, it's okay, but um, I personally prefer systems that have as least amount of like human judgment in there uh, because it just makes me uneasy. You know what I mean? I do. I do. Just, um, just but yeah. I, I, anyways, uh, that was my rant on, on like uh, Ethereum security, like a scalability roadmap. But yeah, on this like liquid restaking stuff, I think we should have a, a dedicated pod to talk about this. Yeah. Um, all right. Last conversation here. You joined Farcaster. You're one weekend. What do you, what do you think? Good and the bad. Farcaster. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff to Dan. I got to say, I talked to Dan three years ago or so, and he was building this. And I've had immense respect for Dan from the sidelines because I know how early he was. He was early in Coinbase. I think he's a very deep, thoughtful thinker. And to see someone like take time to really like make a decision of where to build, like, I think that carries a lot of weight and has a lot of gravity. Um, it's uh, it's a seamless platform. 
the so starting from the very beginning, I ping you, hey, how do I set this up? You send me a link, you know, I went through it. I set it up seamless. It was web two experience. Like there was some things about security and whatever, like you can or but it was very much seamless onboarding. Char charge you five bucks, which is perfect. Like how much does Twitter charge you for verification? It's like uh similar, right? So it was like whatever. Very easy onboarding, so points there. Here's where I don't uh, things that I didn't like, uh, and I'll go back to things I liked. But I'm going through sequentially the flow. What I didn't like was like it asked me for interest, and it was like ten buckets. So I click some, you know, crypto books, uh, travel, whatever. Um, and then I didn't realize this, but so I joined. And then you know I see the Empire channel. You know I, that was my first tweet. And then two things. One. I didn't like that I, based on my interest, which is pretty cookie cutter list, I immediately followed like 70 people or 50 people. I'm like, no, make it optional. Why is it that like, now it's the awkwardness of unfollowing people. Like, I don't want to, why are you determining who I should or shouldn't follow? Maybe give me a glimpse into the type of content that I'm going to be able to see, right? When I click into it, maybe just show me the the channel. Also, show me how this goddamn thing works. Like, Give me a guide of how it should be casting. It turns out that like, you know, it is kind of intuitive, but like it would be nice to just like have a, here's how it works. Here's the kind of things that you can do here. Um, here's how it's different from X. Uh, here's how it's very similar to X. Like here's the type of users. Like just give me something, right? It was just like, all right. Like all of a sudden I follow a hundred people. What? I don't know. Like I actually don't want to follow these people. Have Like I unfollowed like 80% of them. I'm like, I, I want to consciously follow people here. Um, so that was a bit like, I, I, I tweeted this today, like casted this today on publicly. I was like, this is probably change. Um, so am I using the app constantly? No, not yet. Am I cross tweeting, like tweeting and casting the same thing? I'm running experiments of like where I do the same tweet and cast to see the type of engagement, uh, engagement's nowhere near. Right. And I guess like the word engagement is like tricky, right? Because I'm, I'm just judging by like number of likes, which of course is like, you know, I have just shy of a thousand followers on, on uh forecaster. I have, uh, you know, hundred X that in on X. So I guess the ratio is, is, is pretty high I'd say, but still, uh, I don't know. I'm still kind of working through it to be honest. Uh, I still don't know what casts are or how to do them or use them. Casts? You just send a tweet. No, no, no not cast, but like the frames, right? Frames. Yeah. Yeah, the casts are easy. Like it's it's I'll say like it's super easy to just the cast, right? Like the same way that you tweet. It's like super intuitive. I guess you can select the channel. The question is if I select the Empire channel, is that gonna also go on like other I guess no, right? Like if you're not in the Empire channel, you're you may or may not see it. Probably not. You will still see it. You will still see it. I think the Farcaster team is thinking about something where like you could tweet out or you could cast in a in a channel and no one else would see it, or you can cast in a channel and everyone else sees it. But right now when you like tag the channel empire so by the way if people don't know there's a on warpcast there's a channel for empire there's like 250 people in it all listeners of the pod and people hang out and ask questions and talk about the podcast yeah so good times we're we the largest uh, channel no we're definitely not the largest channel we're the biggest we're like, channel on all of warpcast we're not we're the dude. number one no, no i mean no. seriously yeah no as much as i want to believe that like no we have uh not yet, not yet. people and base has a hundred thousand people so so no, actually cool, that's pretty impressive actually base has a hundred thousand people 
Yeah. I had a cool, uh, I had a cool Warpcast moment, Farcaster moment this week. So uh, it was actually the best off-chain, excuse me, best on-chain to off-chain experience I ever have, have ever had. And it was inside of a frame. And I think anyone who wants a peek into the future of consumer and the future of consumer crypto should literally go do this right now. So I was scrolling on Warpcast and I see a mint a penny frame from uh, this guy, Garrett, uh, who works at Coindesk, actually. Uh, great guy. And he's been like basically pumped, like uh, he's been like uh, sharing all the best frames that he can see. He's a good follow on Warpcast. So basically scrolling, I see Garrett share this frame. It says mint a penny. And the flow basically went like this. So you click mint a penny inside of your frame. It's just a big picture of a penny. Click mint a penny. The frame. So then I minted that NFT of the penny. The frame then automatically transitioned to say, get a hat because it recognized that I had this NFT in my wallet. So anyone who didn't have the NFT in their wallet, it says get a penny. Anyone who has the NFT, that frame now says get a hat. So then I click get a hat. It then opens up a, a Coinbase shopping page with a picture of a $30, like really nice, like high quality $30 hat. And then the page automatically read that the get a penny NFT was in my wallet. So the $30 mm-hmm. hat on this like normal page, not turned into a dollar, uh, into a one cent hat. And then, so then I clicked, I clicked checkout and then it was one click checkout with Shopify and it was done. And this was all on mobile, all in like 30 to 60 seconds, click mint a penny frame turns into get a hat, click, get a hat, opens up a Coinbase page, $30 hat becomes a one cent page, one click checkout with Shopify hat's going to be at my house in a couple of days. You got to wear the hat. I'll wear that. I'll wear the hat. Yeah. With hat. With hat. I am now. With hat. With hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was pretty interesting. That's really, I mean, yeah, this is a really good observation. Like people that are on the sidelines thinking that it is, uh, crypto is still very cumbersome, challenge UX. Um, it is, they're in for a surprise. Yeah. A real surprise. Like it is yeah. seamless. I've always felt that payments, subscriptions um, with stable coins is, is the way of the future. Like NFTs, subscriptions, like I'll leave you with this. The amount of um, dropout, the amount of like lost revenue from uh, e-commerce is astounding because credit mm-hmm. cards fail or or like subscription renewals is a huge problem for not just retail but the enterprise software companies like because the credit card expired the payment uh, had a false negative all these like crazy stupid things that should have been figured out by now guess what you don't have that problem with crypto and you can make micro payments like it's just uh streaming payments Sadly, is a really good protocol. Like it's just, uh, yeah. Like we're, uh, you're right. It it does this type of flow is something that perhaps we should really encourage people to use more and more to showcase to normal people in their day to day interactions of what is possible with crypto. Yeah. Right. Like like yeah. like it would be nice to see a video of like here's how you check out in normal web two. Here's how you check out with crypto. Who's faster? Yeah. Um. Yeah. We so we have a monthly all hands with Blockworks that Mike and I lead. And I think we have like 60 people at the company, maybe 65 now at at Blockworks. And we just have everyone get on once a month. We share like basically how did the last month go? What's happened? What are the goals for the next month? And like, what are the big initiatives at the company? And like, what are we thinking? And then there's like a AMA section and stuff like that. And we had, we did a whole section on Farcaster. And we basically said like, look, as a, as, as a company, it's not just Mike and I, like as a company, we're pushing into Farcaster. And uh, we've got like a Farcaster channel now and people are, we're like 
we're we're pushing on it so yeah it's really i think anytime you do something like this it's uh you will never be successful with a new thing if you just half-ass it so like my no, idea to, around farcasters like let's go all in for 90 days and let's wake up maybe you know four and a half months and we'll wake up at the end of june at the end of q2 and basically say do we keep going or do we stop was it worth it or not worth it so yeah I think it has a those type of bets are really interesting from when founders do that because it could, it could have a pretty asymmetric payoff and the downside fairly limited. I mean, like this is the other idea. Like, if you, we have yet to actually get on TikTok as a business. I we have like oh. a couple of videos because the, uh, and we should probably be on TikTok. But to go create like TikToks and channel, like you can't just repost somewhere. Like it literally takes a different type of person to go build a TikTok. Mm. Um, but Warpcast is really easy to just like. We can take the team who Cross runs syndicate. on Twitter, and now that Twitter team, it's very easy for them yeah, to get up on can, uh, up and running. It's called cr- cross indication of channels. Yeah, yeah. So nice, good man. Well, something to obviously report back on, um, and uh, keep tracking. But yeah, really, shout out to Dan. I mean, he's really good stuff. What he's built, and yeah. we need more of those. You know, we need more consumer uh, applications, um, and I think we're entering that phase. I, yeah. I think that is the most exciting way going back to circling this podcast is really about this discussion around like who fucking cares if who's right around a couple of weeks if we're in a bull or bear market like again the real fundamental question is well, do you believe this is a lasting technology and if you do you kind of invert then does your timing matter no because you're never going to get it right because humans can't predict this stuff and markets are completely irrational at it <laughs> And so you can't do it. To think that you can is just a fool's error. You're going to be right today. Chris is going to be wrong, quote unquote, today. He may be right, you know, in a month from now. Who cares, right? Like at the end of the day, more focus should be on paying attention to what is really happening on the ground level. You're trying out fast forecaster. Like compare that to your experience in 2017 when you're funding that ICO. Crypto is not perfect, but, but like, do you see a window towards this completely re, like? completely changing the fabric of e-commerce and subscriptions and customer acquisitions and retention and what like yeah i I do like stable coins have you used it not just like pontificate have you actually used stable coins like okay like have you tried phantom have you tried jupiter have you like looked at an nft and what people really like you know i get like that maybe gaming is a little bit more like like bare bones still but like every different kind of vertical is in different places but in the aggregate like i i that's what i care most about right because that's how i think of my allocations in verticals is like i do i cannot afford to miss out on a huge vertical and social is one where i've like probably kind of been a little bit wary of like i obviously have an investment in in lens um I'm, i'm not an investor in forecaster but you know, seeing this type of stuff is really encouraging, actually. Yeah. Uh, the question is, are they going to, like, are they, will they be able to scale? Um, but it's also really kind of crazy, right? Like, you look at these, like, examples that are made, like, Harvard Business School case studies, vitamin water, coconut water, all this crap. It literally was like Rihanna and 50 Cent got behind this crap and, like, it went. Yeah, 50. Let's go. You know what I mean? And like, 50 yeah. Cent would have been going bankrupt had he not done this deal. Yeah. And then Rihanna's a billionaire because she, like, got, like, a huge equity stake in coconut water or something like this. Um, yeah, it's uh, – the, 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 the thing is, like, what is really encouraging 
is um, the creator economy to, you know, use a cliche, like kind of overused VC term at this point uh, is very real. TikTok, yeah. these phenomena like the, the individual power of not just celebrities, but genuine people that like our content creators is, is huge. What is probably missing is how these creators uh, monetize. And I think crypto is that place where more and more creators are going to naturally gravitate to through NFTs, through whatnot. And because it is just a better system, I think, um, you're still going to have platforms. You're still going to have, you know, um, like TikTok, of course, that are more centralized and whatnot. But when you compare the, the, the economic argument for a creator is going to probably be stronger joining a web three protocol that distributes a far greater share. Um, so my, I guess my last question for you is when, when will we see most, most of Farcaster users, which has gone parabolic, I think, didn't it cross like over a hundred thousand or so? Well, there's a hundred thousand followers of just the oh, base, base channel. Yeah. But I think it's over a hundred thousand, mostly crypto native, mostly, mostly historically Ethereum centric. But when do you think we're going to see like major mainstream, I don't want to say like a Taylor Swift, but like, you know, um, uh, like a Mr. Beast or whatever on Farcaster. This cycle. Do you think, yeah. Is that going to be a bullish or, or like, is that going to be the, the, the top? It'll, it'll be in the, it'll mark, it'll mark the top or something. And then like, okay. yeah, I think at some point in 2025, like I think dozens of, it, I think many, many, many celebrities end up getting on Farcaster in maybe 10 to 20% chance second half or end of 2024, but definitely in 2025. I mean, I don't know what your, like, it, it also depends on how you think about the cycle. Imagine like, if Trump goes on Farcaster. I wouldn't, I mean, Dan, like, I think I, something I'm like Dan, that. If I'm Dan, I would be like, focus on like capturing this election. Like if you have like, cause obviously Trump got banned from Twitter. I mean, I think that will happen in this cycle. Like, I think you'll be listening. Like, I don't know if you ever listened to Lex Friedman pod. Like, I think crypto people will end up getting on as crypto gets intertwined and Bitcoin gets intertwined with like more and more of society and like the market ends up ripping and bull market and stuff like that. Like those celebrities will get on Farcaster, like crypto, so crypto celebrities, like the big founders and investors will get on Lex Friedman and get on 60 minutes and we'll get called to talk in front of Congress and things like, like it'll, it'll all just get intertwined. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll see. I'm going to continue to use it. So thank you for, uh, this activation energy that is so necessary. So you, I will yeah. always credit you for onboarding me to Far- Farcaster. Dude, is what there, about, is there, uh, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Is there an NFT that like can track who onboards? I think you're with your ref link. You can trace, right? They know that you, you sent. Tra- I think you can trace who has yeah, signed so up. You, you sent me a link and it had a unique URL to it. Yeah. So, yeah. I think you can trace. By default. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Good stuff. We haven't done this in a while. Any uh, content, movies, books that you're listening to found interesting lately? I have not opened a book in three weeks. And that's bull how I market. know that we're bull market. Bull market. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly I mean, right. I was going to say that. It's, it's crazy. Like I, you know, the podcast in the bear market that I, that I was listening to, like I started listening to like non-crypto podcasts a little more in the bear market, just by the end of the bear. Like I just like audio books. I was reading a little oh. more. Like I was listening to like, just, I don't know, back listening, like invest like the best or all in or my first million or like these other podcasts. Um, now I'm like, 
like your stories of people how they almost went bankrupt like you in crypto and then they come back in full raging force right. like and give you some yeah, yeah we, uh, we've been there yeah that's right so yeah exactly i'm like oh my god like he he was almost bankrupt too yeah i can, yeah, like, I can make guys you almost went almost bankrupt twice like, so like if, if you've round tripped yeah, exactly. if you've round tripped your crypto gains like hold on hold on we'll make yeah, it exactly. so but we'll no, no, make no, it. like dude I, I wake up wednesday morning and i'm like let's fucking go i get to listen to xerox research podcast like all right friday morning or like saturday like i get to listen to bell curve uh yeah. tuesday like new episode of bell curve like so i'm uh i think I'm, uh, one of our first conversations that i had with you and especially when i was looking at the investment was like you're right like now i you rotate from Hopefully you're listening to Empire and then you can go to Lightspeed and then go to Bell Curve and then come back to Empire. Like it's a full week. And then we have the combo now with Ryan and uh, Tommy. Like I think you, uh, our initial vision was like becoming your everything. Uh, if you want to like. We want to own the, we want to own the stack. We want to own the entire information stack for once you are crypto native, basically like we will let other people, the coin desks or coin telegraphs of the world, like play with the, onboard people into crypto whatever mm. our theory though is that like you only spend a little bit of time on that layer of the stack and eventually you get pulled into crypto or you leave and we care about the people who are who are here to stay we care we care about the yeah. as ryan from bankless would say like the settlers like we care about the crypto natives and if you want news we've got news for you if you want a daily podcast or daily newsletter we've got that for you if you want more niche shows more technical shows we've got that for you if you want to come to conferences we've got that for you um we're launching permissionless three in two weeks uh with totally over 50 exciting. plus speakers um we're excited about that like yeah we, we and then we've got the research and data platform now where we're launching a full like we literally rebuilt this thing based on customer feedback from the last uh 21 months uh we've rebuilt mm -hmm. the entire platform uh especially the front end and we're launching that at, at, in, in about a month so yeah like we we want to own the whole stack this is an ad without being an ad we, not we want to do an ad without being an ad. <laughs> so, Just, all uh, I could ask good. you is go buy a ticket to DAS. <laughs> Use code Empire Ten. Not yeah, I'm gonna. I'm, uh, I think there's an event for Empire listeners and community oh members. Oh my god! On, Thank you. I was on Sunday. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm the, the reason. The reason I'm. How is it that I've like no? You know, bring. Dude, this I stuff. literally forgot Perfect. three times in a row uh, to to bring this up. We have actually. But, you want to share the details? Well. Like I'm cautiously going to share them because I'm still figuring out my travel. But there is an event. the The conference starts Monday, the 18th, right, or something. Yeah, 18th or the through the 21st or so. It's like Monday through Wednesday or Thursday. And there's a meetup on Sunday before the conference starts uh, for Empire and Bell Curve listeners on the margin. On the mar Empire on and the on the margin. So it's going to be Mike. Myself, Yusko, like Empire and on the margin listeners can come. The only way you can get in is if you have a DAS ticket. But yeah, if you're in London, you're going to DAS and you're a listener of the show, come hang out. Beers on beers on Blockworks. Nice. Pints, you mean? Pints. Cheeky pints. Yeah. It's also Sunday roast day. Yeah, I gotta get a little come Sunday on, roast. You gotta day. get on the program. <laughs> get on the program. Yeah. <laughs> All right, lads. Um lads. anyways, uh yeah. Always good to come on the pod. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We will record. Uh, we got a good lineup. We got a regulatory pod coming tomorrow. I recorded that with Rebecca. And, oh, we, have, um, uh, we have a CEO of uh, Marathon Holdings actually dropping on Tuesday, Fred Teal, public company. I think it might be our first public company guest. Uh, we had, it was the first Bitcoin mining episode we've done in almost two years. It was 
I would really recommend listening to this episode. Yeah. We never talk about mining, but like very good well, overview very of what's relevant. happening. In yeah, very yeah. relevant too because the happening's coming. Yeah, so we got some banger episodes coming on. Thanks for listening as always. Hopefully see you guys in London in like three to four weeks and uh, we'll see you next week. Keep the hat on, folks. With hat. With hat. <laughs> Cheers. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Don't forget to claim your free wormhole NFT exclusive to Empire listeners. Hit the link in the description of today's episode and fill out the form to claim your unique wormhole NFT today.